Hi everyone. Welcome to Real World Parenting, tips and scripts for parents on roads less traveled. I'm Dr. Laura Anderson, a child and family psychologist, and I'm glad you're here. As you settle in to listen, let me reassure you that you are in the right place. If you're a loving parent looking for answers and encouragement, and maybe even a chuckle amidst hard things. If you're a loving parent who's raising a child on a journey different from your own as a child, and are seeking a compass as you navigate uncharted waters. This is the place for you if you get the theory of parenting advice you keep hearing, but for the love of chocolate and curry and all other nearly perfect things, that theory never quite works as planned with your actual children. Finally, you are in exactly the right place if you're a therapist or clinician who works with kids, teens, and families. My intention is that these episodes will deepen your work and change lives. So in this intro, I get two to three minutes here to boil down 30 years of work in my psychology offices and my experience as a mom in the trenches and let you know what I'll offer with this podcast. I almost called it Lessons from Our Living Rooms or Couch Conversations because my offerings will be things I have learned and keep learning from the vantage point of both my living room couch and my therapy office couch. The aim of this podcast is to offer hope, support, wisdom, and experience in community, to provide clinicians a window into what our recommendations actually mean for real families in real life. We will talk all things kid and teen related and shine a spotlight on families navigating identities related to race, gender, and adoption. We will explore common child and adolescent mental health and wellness related topics. The hope is to leave you with a greater understanding of your child's needs and a, you got this, energy. Episodes will also feature actual practical tips and answers to questions including, well, what do I say when and what do I do when, so that you feel equipped to handle the day-to-day parenting puzzles we face. So pour yourself a cuppa or lace up some shoes or hide in your busy parent bathroom for a bit and join me for head and heart conversations about loving and living with children walking past less often traveled. Have I mentioned I'm glad you're here? I trust that you'll be glad. All right, welcome everyone. I am so glad you're here. This is Dr. Laura Anderson and Kath Brew, and I am thrilled to be sitting here with Kath today. Our paths crossed a couple of years ago at the Families Family Transition Conference. Different different kinds of transitions than we're talking about today. <laughs> <laughs> the global moving kind. Um, <laughs> we cross paths and have um, done some more in a few ways now. And I am just thrilled to have you here today. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And so I always start off, Kath, I can list off people's bios, but but honestly, just please, if you would, let my listeners know how, like, what brings you to this space today? How did we get to this point? <laughs> I was going to say, number one, lesbian. Okay, <laughs> perfect. The, f- <laughs> the first thing. No, I, I, I jest and I joke, but but um, I'm here really because my work that I do under Drawn to a Story is that I illustrate and educate about marginalised experiences for positive change with a particular focus on identity, belonging and expat life. And I never started out ever planning to do LGBTQ plus stuff, but I had a lot of uh, cisgendered and straight people asking me 
the same few questions all the time, just people I knew, like personal friends, people I knew for where I live, um, just about the community and, and things that they wanted to know. And they they didn't have anyone else to ask. And so I started to realize that there was this massive need to have these conversations um, and to help people without shutting them down. So that if someone asked me a question, if I shut them down, they'd never ask again. And I realized there was a lot of people out there who wanted to be allies, but didn't know how to be, didn't know who to talk to. And so through personal experience and professional experience, I now uh, go into international schools to talk about LGBTQ plus stuff. I talk to businesses. I talk to um, expats. I talk to all kinds of people about allyship, but also what are the issues that we in the community deal with and how can we actually make it better for everyone? So. Yeah, that's me in a nutshell, shall we say? Yeah, well, no, and so I mean, so so needed, right? And I think today mm. you and I were we're chatting about how we could chat for hours and go in multiple directions, but we sort of landed on talking about about schools and international yeah. schools um, in particular. I mean, school is school, and there's an added layer in international schools. Any. Yeah. Any child who is navigating a gender journey or gender identity clarification or is in the midst of transitioning will need support um, interfacing with their school. And we can talk a little bit about mm. that today because I think you and I both were saying before we started kind of recording formally that that there there's this developmental process, right? A child mm. parent know that they are very clear that the gender in their head and their hearts doesn't line up with the gender mm. in their parts and sex assigned at birth and the family mm. goes through an adjustment to that with it within itself like in this, this yeah. space that is family and then parents have to kind of figure out what next mm. um, and yeah. one of the what next is school so mm. What what do you think, what do you see in schools broadly? Where are schools getting it right? Where where does light need to be shown differently? Like, what are you seeing schools getting right? Let's start with that. Uh, I think what they're getting right is it's not everybody, but on the whole, there's an interest or, an, uh, should we say, an understanding that we need to do something about this. We need to become inclusive. We need to do this. But a lot of them are like, uh, I don't know who to talk to. How do we do this? What like what what does this actually mean on a practical level? So firstly, that there's the, an, an interest and an enthusiasm is really, really positive. A lot of schools have got, well, my personal kind of opinion really is that a lot of them are much more with it now around sexuality but gender is the big thing that a lot of the schools are struggling with um and they're not knowing what to do and there's a kind of a heteronormative lens over a lot of what they do um so i mean i have kind of gone straight into what they're not doing because that's oh, the <laughs> it's the easy thing to talk about because actually the, the stuff that they are doing well often is quite limited and I've had teachers say to me, can you tell me what's examples of some great schools, what, what's happening out there? And there probably are out there, but I'm yet to find one that I would want to actually flag up and say, this is fantastic. There's little elements of things. Um, I'm now seeing 
schools instead of in their uh, admission forms instead of putting um, mother and father, they're putting parent one, parent two. Uh, dealing with a school last week who had the option for parents was mother and mother, father and father, which is fantastic. Um, but there's even there's still not the option for like mother, 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 or mother, father, father for polyamorous relationships. There's like, there, there's so much. And it's very easy from my perspective because I know what the potential of what could or what would ha should happen as the ideal. Um, it can be quite hard to sometimes really acknowledge what they are doing because it's, it's baby steps, but it's got to start somewhere. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. <clears throat> no, and, and I'm seeing similar things. Like there's a there's an awareness that this is something mm. that that um, needs attention, and they need to figure out how to be safer spaces um, mm. for young people with gender identity needs. Um, and they are also stuck in a little bit of what next. It's sort of mm. like. I often see, you know, at, at supporting parents of the experience of meeting with schools who are both the administrators and the parents are kind of looking at each other like, uh, we'll, we'll work this out together. Yeah. Well, right. And hopefully that would be one of the first things I would say the most, I mean, just having worked in school settings for 25 years, right? Like more you can be thinking about things as a partnership with the school. And I know that's easier said sometimes than done based on any number of factors. Mm -hmm. Um, but but I've seen schools also think, oh boy, we know this is an area of need, but how do we start? Who's going to object to what we do? I mean, I, I yeah. find schools also go, they're institutions, they have a wide range of, of you know, participants, they have mm. boards they have to answer to, they have in-country laws they have to yeah. and they're, they're businesses as well they want bums on seats essentially pardon the, the language but they want bums <laughs> on seats and did you just say bum <laughs> i did i said bum on your podcast butts <laughs> on seats should i say i don't know um but but i think one of the things is what i found encouraging in some schools is where i might say to them i i appreciate that having on the bottom of your main part of your website main page saying we are an inclusive school people do worry because they think well so I know there's some people are going to have a problem with that and they're going to and it does get people do want to know what their standpoint is on on these kind of subjects um but my argument always is is actually what about all the people that will then come because it's an inclusive school not just people from within the lgbtq plus community but but also allies there's there's an awful lot of parents that just want their kids to come up in and grow up in an inclusive environment so it's very easy to focus on the negatives of what we think are going to happen rather than actually yeah but what if this could really happen this could be amazing like and look at the positive things that this could bring and also that the people that may have a problem with it the options of where they can take their kids to school are often much wider than the locations that people who want to be more inclusive can take their kids if it's in terms of proper inclusion. So I think yeah. as a school, decide on your standpoint and then stick by it and own it and be public about it. Yeah, and, and right, is there is there a potential lost participant or two perhaps mm. but again you may gain more than you lose yeah and you also were principle driven which again a lot mm. of the you know a lot of schools in general a lot of international schools are committed 
to inclusion, learning edges, stretch mm-hmm. mentality, you know, like, and, and being able to, to, to do new things and be, and be actually at the front end of doing new mm-hmm. things. There are a lot of, um, a, a lot of the philosophical commitment from this stuff. Mm-hmm. So in these places, so I've, I've heard you Kath, so far say like, so, so documentation, like the things I'm pulling out. So documentation mm-hmm. that the school sends out can yep. be more inclusive, um, yep. both of, you know, how your household is headed, but also do you identify as male, female, yep. you know? Yeah. Both. And this is the, yeah, this is the thing with a, a lot of what I see is with the application process. If you go onto an international school website, it can be quite hard to fit into the system. The, the, the system that they have will often be quite, heteronormative it, it, it doesn't it's not off it often isn't created by someone who has a different way of looking at like something more broadly from an inclusive point of view so often you might be lucky enough to get same-sex parents um but if you click mother it often automatically makes the mother female there's no allowance for a parent that might not be identifying as female that might be non-binary um and then there's things like you might get uh, language history. There'll be conversations around um, you, you, wait, you can add a parent and you can have like whoever you want, but it still only gives you an option for mother's mother tongue and father's mother tongue. Like there's no, it, it's kind of half there, but often not there fully. So part of what I do is actually going in and saying, this is fantastic. You're doing a lot. It's wonderful. But it's not following all the way through the system. It's not there all the way. And and it's just pointing out some of those things and and making them realize. And most often the schools are really, really um, keen to be told, but where it then becomes a bit of an issue for schools is what I've seen is they may have an idea of um, being supportive to inclusion and wanting to have this stuff there. And that's great with a policy or this is what we stand for, but, when it comes down to the moment of an actual situation in the school, they haven't got a clue often what to do and they're really feeling their way. And it's like, okay, we, we are supportive of trans kids and we want them to be like happy, healthy members of the school. But then suddenly what do we do when we go on school camp and <laughs> someone's in a, in where we're having uh, single sex dorms and we're only allowing for male and females or a trans kid, it's fine until 16, they can play sport. But then suddenly when they get older and they've gone through puberty, uh, what do we do now? Like, how, what does that mean? And my worry is that it's often that child that becomes, and I'm using air quotes, the problem rather than actually everyone else being the problem. And it's that child that then suffers because they're made to be the, well, they are the, the different one, shall we say, compared to what everyone else is thinking. And that's one of the key things that I end up talking to to schools about too, right? Is that mm. how to help everybody shift toward toward normalization, toward inclusion, toward mm. toward broadening the definition of gender and family, so that this isn't mm. for the two trans kids in the school. Yeah. Like, so we have yeah. to give up a teacher's bathroom for the two trans kids. So we have yeah. to, you know what I mean? And Absolutely. Like, that 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 this isn't for those two beings it is mm. um, you know a broader understanding and the fact that it's it's stopping the accidental harm of these two mm. beings rather Absolutely. than yeah. doing this yeah. special thing yeah. um and yeah so there's i mean there's so many different 
Play, I mean, the good news is there's lots of room for thinking about the yeah. website and advertising with paperwork. It's room for improvement. That's all. That's the good thing. <laughs> yeah, once you see it, once you see it. And if you're a parent, I think one of the key things that comes up to me when I think about even now, like sort of how to have the conversations about the interface with school. Mm. I mean, there are two main ways that I've seen with either in some particular situations, schools know first, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and, and kids have come out at school and that's a tricky situation for schools to navigate. If they know mm. parents don't yet know, some schools won't let that happen. Some schools won't change pronouns and names mm. for trans kids until they have parent permission. Some schools will do that for a period mm. of time. So, so sometimes it does come through the school first, but in the instance where it's come to the attention of family mm. at home and the young person involved is, is, you know, asking for things to be different and more congruent mm. and lined up at school, you know, parents kind of look at each other, like how, you know, what would need to be um, different or what would need to be recognized at school for our child to feel safe and seen and supported in their two primary environments of home and mm. school. Mm. And one of the things that I think parents often, you know, in, in our, in their anxiety, race forward, race around, start making decisions. And it's like one of the very first things to do, and I don't know if you agree, is like have a conversation with your child. Like <laughs> what, what do they want? Not every kid wants to be, uh, you know, wants to hold a rally and, <laughs> and announce their identity. Absolutely. And, right. And some, yeah. and yeah, some kids do. So, so yeah. what would yeah. you, what, how, what do you suggest parents talk to their kids about in that, in that moment when you're all holding what is needed at school? Mm. I think the first thing is actually it, is to break it down, like, what are the immediate needs? What are the, the first things that are going to be an issue when that, okay, your, your child has has just announced that they're non-binary, um, they're trans or however they, they describe themselves. Um, and it's like, what, what does that mean? Like, do, do they need help telling their friends? Do they want to tell the school or do they want us as a parent to come in and actually talk about being at the school? Is there, do they need a key contact person at the school that is the one that they can go to that they know is going to be a safe space that they can actually um, talk to if there's any troubles at the school. It's like, do they want to change their pronouns? Like a lot of kids don't. And 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 one of the things that I've that pet some teachers talk about is well, it's like if if there are teachers out there that don't want to use they, them, or even he, they, she, they, um, then actually why make that child suffer by not having the right pronouns it's like well let's not use pronouns for any children let's only use their names let let or we use they for all students like we we gen, we it rather than than the the gender expansive kid being the one that misses out let's actually bring everyone up to that whatever that level is so and i think from a parenting point of view it's it's actually working out it it's the practical things of the day to day it's like if they're at a school that's got a uniform are they going to suddenly need a different uniform or is your child happy to still wear the same uniform? Some kids do want to change. Some don't. Um, do all the teachers know that their pronouns have changed? Are the systems within the school enough to mean that the original paperwork that you filled out, remember to go to the school and actually double check that the paperwork therefore is going to be up to date. 
um, so that if a child suddenly gets taken off to hospital and you've got the their insurance, their medical insurance, remember as a parent that the original paperwork that you filled in may actually not represent who that child is now and making sure that the school is up to date. It's all those kind of things. Yeah, yeah no, and to, to like one of the things that is always reassuring that I talk to parents about is I say what, what it takes talking to your kid and then stepping back and thinking mm. about the places at which we make assumptions about mm. gender, right? Yeah. Names, yeah. pronouns, the, uh, uniforms, bathrooms, locker rooms, haircuts, haircuts, mm. what are, yeah, and co- dress codes around who mm. can do nail polish, who could do hair, you know, like all of this yeah. kind of stuff. And, and on the one hand, many people may be shocked when they realize how many times a day mm. there have been assumptions made. On the other hand, there aren't 712 of these occasions, you know, <laughs> there are, there are you know, the same. Yeah. Yes. And, and even if there's a little variations, it's usually around the same subject matter. Um, and I, I think one of the things is that for a lot of parents, I mean, you, I mean, you would probably know this more than me with, with your practice, but, but a lot of parents, and I think a lot of society is, okay, someone comes out as trans, then it's like, oh, they want to change. They, they, they want to transition. Actually, no, not everyone wants to transition. And whatever transition is, is transition for that person yeah. that actually there's huge variations. So some people, it's just I want a different name and I want to wear different clothing and have different haircut. Other people, it's like I want puberty blockers, I, I want surgery and I want this and that. And I think one of the things I that I would like to help people understand is that that there's no mould of what is the process. Everyone has their different feelings about what that is. And some people, well, they don't necessarily want to transition from one gender to another. It's just, this is who I am. And I choose on how I feel, what day, how I express that. It's not this, okay, I'm, I'm in a male body. I, I want to go to become a female. It's not that simple. Right. And I think it's about understanding the layers. So that what is really important is open, honest, communication with the children um yeah and not everybody and i would yes and that's critical and not and i always talk to parents uh and schools too about like public versus private yes in terms of how public kids want to be around this how willing there be to be the you know question mm. answered how much yeah. they're going to raise their hand in their civics class and say mm. you know what they're going to say about their experience mm. versus kids who just want to be you know, just, high school want to blend students, absolutely yeah. right. Who does not have this become the center of conversation? Yeah. No. So, so center- or like the pet project for the school of we have a trans student. Look, this is like yeah, and very exactly. and, and you know what? And I am I know that right now I'm you know I'm assuming some people this hope this podcast makes their way toward families. I know <laughs> some people have been the trailblazers. Yeah, there are schools and it is really and, and, you know, some amazing support and and energy of warmth and affirmation that I want to send to them because that is not an easy place to be. Mm, mm. I'm always struck when I think about, you know, helping parents interface with systems that the, you know, I, always, I think in general and hats off to teachers. I could have worked in schools for years, life mm. changers, super mm. grateful for them. And like any group of people, what I've said is there's sort of this like, you know, 
20% who are awesome, leading the charge, over the top, that have reasons to be thought leaders and change yeah, leaders. Yeah. And, you know, and then there's 20% who aren't, aren't, aren't going to be comfortable, have, have reason. And yeah. I, I, it's still a little hard for me to talk about, but sort of have decided this isn't something they believe in. And mm, I, mm. I remain gobsmacked about this idea that we can choose not to believe in uh, another human's existence. But <laughs> that is that that is what this that, that is how mm. this I mean, there's so much misinformation out there about gender. There, right? there is a huge and I think that's the thing that often one of the, I mean, I'm, I talk about pronouns and I know you've talked about pronouns before, but one of the things that often comes up is, like you say, there's the teacher's. Uh, and the, the the learning support teachers and the admin and all the people that were like, yeah, right, we'll use the right pronouns. Then there's the ones that were like, well, why should I? What's the point? Like, why I don't, why can't, like they, it, it, it's plural, it's not singular, although they just don't get it. But what I actually say is, okay, a very good way to make someone start to understand if they're a teacher that doesn't agree with it is to start as a, as a fellow teacher. I wouldn't suggest this with a student, but a fellow teacher is actually just to start using the wrong pronoun for that teacher. And very quickly they'll realise how important pronouns are. Very, very quickly. And they suddenly realise what that feels like. And I think sometimes those things where you flip it, and my a lot of my work is about, okay, there's the intellectual understanding, all the different terminologies, just the kind of learning about what should happen and what shouldn't happen. But it's so important to get to the emotions of the issue and actually help someone really understand what it means because we can switch off our brain. We can switch off our emotions and just intellectually not really get it because if you've never had to question yourself, why would you get it? So if you can do little things like that, that also then empower the person that's doing it to actually gives them strength if, and, and and particularly whether they're non-binary or not but particularly if they are non-binary to be that person actually starts to show someone is really really powerful yeah, um, and, and not saying you know like even even in my frustration about some of the different ways of understanding this right like how to do those experiential things how to mm. invite people to stay curious about it not intending to shame or back people into a yeah. corner because then then everybody gets rigid about it and mm. and 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 thinking about those folks, right? I, I sort of think about the 2026, and that 60% in the middle are the people who mm. were were wanting to be exposing, inviting to come, you know, to stay mm. curious, mm. to learn about, to be on the. I mean, there's so many that, particularly again in the international schools, there are so many set values in the different curriculum yeah. about, about this stuff that 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 living to those values means. Mm staying curious about this experience, creating safe environments um, for kids. Because here's the yeah. other, if you are a teacher and you have a kid experiencing a lot of gender distress or gender noise, you know, mm, most of the time, mm, yeah. they are not available for learning the no, way absolutely would be if they feel safe and seen and supported. So yeah. you are going to get a, a less present they're in their worry brain. They're mm. in their mm. amygdala fight or flight brain. They're not in absolutely. their thinking, remembering, yeah. remembering, understanding, cooperating, yeah. participating. All, absolutely. All the energy that goes into keeping themselves safe or hidden if they need to be, like whatever that is, or remembering who they've told, who they haven't told, like 
then their mates may know who they are and their teacher may, but suddenly it's like my parents don't, so I have to make sure that if there's communications that, that no one says, tells mum and dad or mum and mum or what, like whatever. Yeah. There's so much emotional energy that goes into that. And yeah, it, it's like the, um, what's that? The, the human, the hierarchy of human needs, like safe. If you don't feel safe, nothing else is going to go into your brain. Yeah. It's so important. One of the things too, that I see people struggle with as well is that there is just a learning curve, right? Schools mm. very often aren't sure. And I, I've, I've also had schools, I've sat in a school meeting where they're like, okay, yes, no, we're fine with that person changing names and pronouns. We'll have to give some thought to the bathrooms. You know, we'll see what our configuration mm. can be. And we just need to, we'll just need to put out a letter. I was like, Ah, uh, uh, so yeah, yes, exactly. We'll just need to let parents know. I was like, well, actually, it's sort of considered kind of like protective medical. There's no yeah. warning. Nobody needs a a, a heads up. This it's private inform- information. Mm. And I've often sat, I have sat in in meetings with administrators and just mm. like helped them script. Yeah, script. what happens if you do have a a, a parent? who mm. is not okay and doesn't want their child learning about this and approaches yeah. you, here's what you can say. You can say, mm. you know, if there are behaviors that directly impact your child's safety, yeah. we want to hear about that. But yeah. otherwise, we respect every student's privacy. We would respect yeah. your Absolutely. child's privacy and, and um, you know, stay in communication if there are specific behavioral issues that we need to address. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I also think part of that conversation is also informing if a parent does have a problem is informing them. Like what I've, I've realized over the years is, is that people don't understand the difference between sex and gender. And so you'll get a lot of people who will instantly think if you're talking about something to do with gender, you're going to be giving sex education classes and they, they might be against that. And they don't understand that gender is not sex and it's it's a very different thing. And I think sometimes if you can iron out some of that stuff and just make parents realise that actually they're getting, politely telling them that they're getting two things confused that actually aren't um, mutually, what's right. the word, they're, they're not connected, um, then actually you can kind of, you, you may be having a conversation that you don't need to have because they're misunderstanding the language around something as well. I mean, so much of what happens in this place is, is education. And it is new. I mean, that's the other thing. I join with teachers. I join with administrators. Like, look, I remember when I was mm. learning about that. It's for some of us, it does cause a fair amount of pauses. We compute things in our, we're yeah. like, wait, that's just like, I, Oh, okay. Mm. Like, where are the spaces you're creating on your campus for teachers yeah. to feel safe learning? Yeah. What information and education are you providing to folks so that they can understand? Administrators often want to talk to other teachers, I mean, other schools mm. who are doing yeah. this. Yeah, what, and, yeah, the experiences, yeah. And that, that's the other thing that I would say. If you're a teacher at the school or and, and you're trying to figure out what to do, there are, you know, CAF does consulting mm. or other places that are beginning to do mm. consulting. Genderspectrum.org yeah. has a detailed school gender support plan. Mm. And it's a little overwhelming. I mean, when you look, you pull it up, you're like, holy moly, they've been doing this. <laughs> they've been doing this for a while and they have yeah. imagined every possible way in place. Mm. So 
So genderspectrum.org has a gender support plan that again, it, I would also caution folks in schools, if you're new to this, if you just pull that up, you're going to feel overwhelmed by yeah. it. So it's really helpful mm. to be able to think about what live resources, how do we, how do we have a, a, a bigger eye or a light on because mm. it is, it's paperwork, it's mm. advertising there's curricular stuff involved. Mm. Again, we want to normalize this stuff yeah. so that it doesn't become that by the time you're, you know, you have a ninth grader who comes out or, you know, mm. whatever, standard eight, standard nine, and, and now the entire school is hearing about it for the first, right? Like nobody, mm. all the examples of every family and being from yeah. the early school on are heterosexual cisgender folks. I mean, all, so you want, there's some yeah. ways to look at curriculum there are ways to look at, can you, it, is your school a place where um, GSAs, gay straight mm. appliances, and even though we're talking about how gender is different oh, from sexual yeah. orientation. But it's interesting, the GSAs that I'm talking to, they're now starting, instead of gay straight alliance, they're now actually calling themselves gender and sexuality alliance. Love it. That's I cool. love it because it's yeah. really specific, which yeah. I just think so much better. It, it's fantastic. And um, I think when I talk to schools, what I talk about, the things that you're listing, um, I talk about it being like the touch points where when they're talking about same-sex families or like L- LGBTQ plus families, it's what are the touch points where, where parents and families are in touch with the school where things could go wrong or could go really well? Like how are you managing those those points of interaction? And it it starts with the very first time that parents decide to look at the school website is there anything on that website that they can see themselves are they represented or do they have to do a big google and search and find one event that was a pride event I, as a as a lesbian i don't have kids but if i did have kids i'd be wanting to know what you're doing every single day so you'll often find stuff that says they're inclusive but what does that actually mean i want to know even if it's just listing we are inclusive of different religions genders sex like race whatever it gets just naming stuff shows me that you've actually thought about it um but one of the things that that i like doing within schools is that a lot of what we've talked about now is about parents and the school systems and we haven't actually talked a lot about the kids and that the them being the center and so when i go into schools I've, I realise early on that when I'm in a room with kids talking to them, I'm one of them as a lesbian. I'm not the teacher. I'm not the parent. So there's a great power for me to be able to have conversations with kids because they know that I get them. But I'm also that little bit older. Actually, a little bit. That's me in denial. I'm much older than these children. <laughs> I just realised what that sounded like. I was trying to hear <laughs> You were sniggering in the background. <laughs> Yeah, okay, it's denial. I'm much older than these children. Um, but something I was saying recently to some kids was talking about coming out to their important people and saying um, when you choose to come out to someone, firstly, like, don't ever apologise for who you are. And I was, it was all about helping them be proud of who they are. But then I said, also remember that when you're a parent and you decide to have children, you have all your hopes and dreams for that child. You can't help but have expectations of what you think that child's going to be. And if you've been brought up in a heteronormative world, you're just going to mostly, not always, but mostly people just assume they're going to be 
like male, female, or straight, heterosexual. And so I was saying to these kids, it's taken you a really long time to get to the point where you're brave enough to actually tell someone and start that process. When you tell your parents or the important adult, give them the space to, to, to consume this information that they're suddenly going to have to get their head around it as well. They may not have realised. And trying to get kids that who are just des- desperate to be accepted for who they are, which is wonderful, just to look at it with a slightly few more years on top of that and realise that actually parents will be processing different things and, and to try and get them to understand so that they're not in that teenage headspace of um, just wanting mum and dad or mum and mum, dad and dad, whoever, to just be completely on board. Um, yeah. But there's and I think that's really important. There's an in, an insider conversation that I can have yeah. that works. No, it's you, right? Exactly. Mentors, role models, people with lived experience to help administrators understand yeah. where are the places at school that, that what we see in the data largely on schools, what kids will report is that teasing was pretty relentless, like jokes, yeah. not even directly at a student. So teasing sometimes directly at a student, yeah. jokes broadly, um, invisibility in curriculum or uh, storytelling um, or total othering in the storytelling in the curriculum. Or, yeah, yeah, or in the curricula only talking about gay people when it relates to gay subjects, not in like in women's equality talking about some a trans woman. Like it, like it's it, it becomes a cliche representation rather than just we're part of the whole of community. Right, right. Like, yeah. And so, and also one key thing, what they and this is a really important thing that I would invite schools to think about if you're a teacher listening or a parent who wants to take this to your school. Over and over again, kids say that they didn't often experience direct harm from teachers, but they often experienced frozen <clears throat> teachers. Mm. They experienced teachers who who heard, who got a sense of what was happening, who overheard comments from peers. Silence is complicit. And they just didn't know, right? And I hear teachers, I didn't want to call more attention to it. I didn't know what the right language was. And so they just keep going, hoping that it wasn't bad, or maybe they didn't hear what they heard. And that poor child is sitting there feeling like, yeah, exactly. Sorry, keep. But I was just going to say, and that was something that came up in the classrooms that I was talking about the importance of language and, and talking to particularly to the older kids about reclaiming language. So I was doing some work once with a, a local authority here where I was told by a white middle class Christian woman that I should not use the word dyke because it was an offensive word. And we laughed and said, ah, that's our favorite word to describe ourselves. And you're not going to tell me that that's the word that we can't use. And so I was talking about this with the kids and the students and saying about how you can reclaim stuff. And one of the teachers said, and this is a completely valid point, talked about worrying that if a child wasn't out, it was very hard to tell who was using that language as an empowerment and who was using it like a bully. And I and so she said, we just don't talk about it at all. We don't we don't allow those words. And I said, I, I appreciate that. But actually, the greater lesson to me is to have a conversation around discernment and the power of language. And then you can bring in the conversations about we don't we pick up kids when they say, oh, that's so gay or as a as a derogatory thing and having those kind of conversations. And and then so I then said to the kids, actually, did you know that the word gay can also be 
stand as an acronym stand for good as you and the, this whole classroom of little kids or little I say teenage uh, young teenagers sitting there with their heads down and they all just like looked at this little grin on their face <laughs> and it, that can be reclaiming language as well it doesn't have to be the swear words or the, the the kind of toxic language it can be simple words and then and it's just about reframing that and helping kids just as much as the teachers be happy and kind of centered and be well in themselves because they're not dealing with all the horrible stuff that gets dealt at them and just learning how to how to learn to exist in a world that may not always actually um appreciate who they are yeah and i gosh there's so many yeah we have to kind of bring this to uh, a close today mm. and one, one of the takeaways or of the takeaways i think are if you're part of a school community or if you're a parent approaching your community, look, look for the touch points where mm-hmm. the flash points, touch points where parents and families bump up against the school or interface lovely and bump up sounds pejorative. I just mean like our, our <laughs> interface. <Connecting. to> school. <laughs> um, and then flash points around, around gender and a binary and forced mm. choice it isn't only bathrooms, right? No, it's so much conversation. Cool. Have a conversation with your kid about what they want. Some mm. kids are fine with gender neutral. Some kids don't want to be in a gender neutral. They don't want to be in the the, the counselor's bathroom half of whatever. Yeah. Okay. Right? Exactly. Like, so, so have the conversation with your kids to find out mm. what the needs are. Approach the school team in terms of not recreating the wheel. Find folks mm. who know how to do this understand that people get in their own place of of fear and they race forward thinking about the implications of everything and Mm. and change takes time but it's possible i I also want to say and then i'll wrap i mean i know this is a whole other conversation probably i do know there are some some international schools operating in countries in which there are explicit laws prohibiting anything that looks like ocean of lgbtq uh uh, subjects you you know it can be illegal to be to be and i understand there is a special press for um discernment about how Mm. to publicly not talk about a gsa right like Mm. i understand Mm. there are challenges about how the leadership of the school is trying to balance honoring host countries that Absolutely. are operating yeah. and navigating this, but there, there are ways to do it. Find consultation yeah. rather than expecting that the, Ab- the few yeah. kids in your school are, yeah. are able to get this out for themselves. Right? Absolutely. And also what I would say is that that you can, there is like a coded language. There's ways, like you say, of, of expressing these things or showing these things that the people who need to see them will see them. And they will know what that means. That yeah. that there's ways that you can do it that um, keep everybody safe, really. Because there's no point. I mean, I'm all for promoting um, <laughs> sexuality, if that's what they want to call it. But but I, I say that tongue in, in, with with a big smile on my face. But 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 I, I'm all for equality, inclusion with gender diversity and sexuality. But the most important thing is actually keeping a child safe and keeping a family safe. And as a result, keeping the rest of the students at the school safe as well. And whilst I want the the, the gender expansive kids and the, the the kind of all the other kids that fit into the LGBTQ plus to be safe, you can't have a whole school shut down just by a government that doesn't agree with what's going on. Like there has to be 
there's layers of conversations and ultimately child safety and child protection are the most important thing so yeah and these are hopefully parts of those conversations yes what happens is folks haven't haven't always known how to have those conversations no exactly um, then school is such an important place for kids and all schools but international schools in particular Mm. have have a really rich opportunity in their learned experience around taking perspective and making Mm. things uh Wove, you know, weaving in um, all kinds of different ways of, yeah. of doing Indian leaders and thought leaders and mentors. And I mean, like, there's so mm-hmm. much that's already um, built into place. There's, there's also, yeah, there are the distinct challenges. Yeah. Teachers, that's the other thing is that a school hopefully weaves this into some of their fabric because teachers mm-hmm. change, kids are having to come out over and mm-hmm. over again to new peers, to new teachers. Yeah. So, there's even more reason for international schools to take the lead on trying to figure yeah, out. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, and some of those conversations can even be things like um, that that you're not seen as a, I mean, you're not seen as a school of um, being very open about who you are in your your values or, like, or saying you're massively inclusive if you're in a country that, that, that it makes it illegal. But you can have systems in your, within the school that aren't public that are about making sure on the administration that if you're phoning the office for a parent to say that their their child's at hospital, you don't ring up and leave a message with the secretary and say, can you tell John that his husband is at the, the hospital with their child? It's it's about under... So a lot of what I'm doing is not necessarily giving answers. It's about helping people understand what uh, LGBTQ plus families might be dealing with and... Yeah their lives and the things that they do to make themselves safe ultimately it's their responsibility but as allies everyone else needs to understand or hopefully i would say understand that um so that you're not dropping them into situations that actually makes it unsafe for them as well lots of great things to think about i love having the conversations people can check you out on your um Tell us where yeah. they can find more. Yeah, about people, you. people can find me at uh, drawntoastory.com. Uh, it's the website. And then social media, I'm most commonly found on Instagram, which is just at drawntoastory, and Facebook, same again, at drawntoastory. Um, and, and also, I do my own podcast talking about difficult conversations and the lives that challenge us. So it's all the same good stuff that you're doing, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Well, thank you. Thank you for thank you. today. And thank you for being part of this, this um, really, really life-saving, important all the way to life-saving work. So. Yeah, it is absolutely life-saving. Yeah. 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 Thanks, thank yeah. you. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Just a quick note here at the end to say, I am so glad you joined and I hope you are too. And if you'd like to connect with me more, come take a look at my website, www.drlauraanderson.com. There you can join my newsletter, keep in touch and find out what is in the works. You can also join me for coffee and conversation uh, and Facebook at Common Cord Psychology Services. So check me out those places and I look forward to further connection. I'm glad you were here today.